Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Matthew. Episode 241, recorded for the week of December 27th, 2023. A reflection on 2023, clouded by the fog of AI. Good evening, Matt, Jonathan, and Ryan. Hello. Hey, Justin. Happy New Year. Hello. Yeah, happy holidays, happy New Year. Uh, it's that time once again where we uh, we attempt to look back at 2023 and say what was our favorites, think about uh, what was in 2024 that might happen, and uh, see how wrong we are. That's kind of the, <laughs> that's kind of the day of it. Uh, but you know, as as always in December, uh, typically when I'm trying not to do reviews, I reflect on the podcast <laughs> and uh, how the podcast uh, changed and evolved over 2023. And so uh, sometimes Jonathan and I do this together at a hookah bar. Uh, where we talk about these things. And last year, we made changes. <laughs> uh, we got rid of things like the lightning round. We reduced the number of stories we covered. And uh, you know, to go for more depth and discussion, which has either resulted in 30-minute shows or an hour and a half shows, as you're <laughs> saying. So you know, it's working well-ish. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then we also added in you know, our Cloud Journey series, uh, where we talked about CCOE. We talked about containers, Kubernetes, Cloud Platform. That kind of dwindled out a little bit in the end of the year. Uh, but it's still been, you know, interesting conversations, just more cloud news, general adjacent versus journeys per se. Um, and then, of course, we added the after show uh, to talk about tech things that were interesting to us as hosts, uh, which has just been fun because I learned more about my three co-hosts, which I always love. And then, of course, <laughs> Peter sadly left him, and you guys all got Matt instead, which is you know an upgrade. So it's a it's a positive experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we brought more <laughs> Azure exposure to the show. Which is, uh, you know, it's sort of reflet- refreshing because it's, it's just as much of a tire fire as I thought it was. Just now I have yeah, someone on in, who's using it who can confirm that it is a tire mm-hmm. fire. So, you know, I have appreciated having Matt here on the show. So, you know, we've been reflecting on it. We did post on our Slack channel. We'd love to hear, you know, what you guys like to see for 2024, things that you'd like us to try. Uh, if there's any ideas, if not, then, you know, we'll keep doing what we're doing. But, um, you know, I didn't have any immediate like, hmm, yeah, I don't like the format or there's something wrong with it. Like last year, we... Jonathan and I were pretty tired of the lightning round. <laughs> it was pretty clear that it was time for it to go. Uh, we were using the same jokes over and over again, and it just wasn't as funny as it once was. Uh, and so, you know, it, it died, and uh, we haven't missed it uh, so too much we, this we, year. We put the uh, lightning round in the box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll pull it out of that box someday for something fun. But, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, kind of where we're at. So. Let's uh, let's rewind back to uh, last December when we didn't have Matt. So Matt is uh, by default getting Peter's prediction. Sorry if you Woo! don't like it. It's uh, <laughs> it, what Peter gave you. Uh, and so you know, looking back at this, I don't think we did half bad. Like I mean, we weren't right, but we were, we're never right. We, we were in the we were in the ballpark. I mean, I, so Jonathan, uh, you said Microsoft released an in preview an Azure branded Chat GPT. Now uh, they did release. OpenAI as a service. There is an API now in Azure for that. You can pay for it through Azure. But I think you said you didn't feel this was exactly what you meant by this particular statement. Um, although on the surface of this, I think you nailed it. So if you want to take away your win, I, I you know, gladly let you take it away. But uh, what's your thought thinking now, looking at this 12 months later, how right were you or wrong were you? Uh, how right was I? I think it was very close. I, I didn't imagine they would just resell effectively open AI stuff uh, as a partner. I figured they would rebrand it, which they didn't do, I don't think. Although they did make an enterprise offering, which promises to keep your data safe. So, I mean, that's part way to doing it, I guess. 
I don't know. I'll, I'll take, I'll take the point. It's interesting. Cause I wonder how much of it was, you know, sort of the, the investment into copilot, which I believe came out of their GitHub acquisition, mm-hmm. you know, so you saw a lot of their announcements branded as copilot mm-hmm. as well as the, you know, chat GPT sort of, you know, um, in addition. So it's, it's sort of interesting to see that merge. And I wonder what the, you know, the business reasons on the behind the scenes were. Yeah. I mean, you invested $10 billion in it. You want to get your investment back. Indeed. <laughs> Justin stole what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I was reading to people who are much smarter than us, uh, do their predictions for 2024. And one of them that kind of struck me was an AI one I read this morning and they they said, you know, how long will the open AI slash Microsoft partnership be tenable for both companies? Hmm. Uh, you know, because on, on one side of it, open AI is competing directly with Microsoft for what they want. <laughs> uh, now, right now, it's powering that technology. But when does Microsoft say, well, I don't want to give a cut of that money to open AI and we can build our own model for less or, you know, more, you know, better features or more Microsoft specific. Um, and so, you know, there's a question of like, Sometime in 2024, do we start seeing them become frenemies where they, yeah, they're still partners, but they're not really great partners and they're starting to really separate from each other in some ways. And that's, that was an interesting idea. I don't think it's a 2024 thing. I could see it maybe being in the future, but um, really interesting concept. Well, one, you just ruined my prediction. (laughs) (laughs) I did not read the article that you were talking about, but two, Microsoft does a lot of partnerships. Like they have like the whole, I I, um, I think it was Microsoft that had the whole like Palo Alto, the same way that you know Azure and or GCP and AWS sort of do. But like, there's a lot more I feel like of partnerships with Azure than like with AWS specifically. So like, on one hand, it doesn't surprise me it was their way to get to market quickly, you know. But like you said, which was kind of why my prediction was this, which was, you know, they're gonna want to build something that would be more specific to them. And have it be the Microsoft, not OpenAI, you know, essentially OpenAI powered by Chat GPT whole thing that they have right now. I don't know. I see it more as more as um, like system builders, integrators, really. And partly because of the partner model that they have. Partly because, I mean, okay, so they built SQL Server and they built Windows Server and various, you know, the Office Suite, Microsoft Dynamics. I mean, there's not a whole lot of technology. That they that they build themselves. I mean, I, I see them more as integrators. So I don't think, I, I think that relationship will last a very long time, um, many years. I also think Microsoft's going to get theirs no matter which way it goes, right? Because they're either yeah. going to sell it directly, or their investment in OpenAI will pay off through, you know, shareholder price in their stocks. So yeah, I don't know. That will definitely be something to keep an eye on and see see where they. Uh, you know, where things take us this year, but, uh, you know, yeah, that was a prediction here from, uh, the information from, uh, Stephanie Palazzo, Palazzo, sorry, I butchered your name. Yeah. Microsoft and OpenAI will have a falling out. And that was her, that's one of her predictions and that they're basically Microsoft will create a knockoff version of the startups models. And that will start the, start the, uh, the anger between the two companies. So we'll see, we'll see. That'd be interesting to see <laughs> if that turns out to be true or not. Sorry, I stole your prediction. Maybe we should do this after. <laughs> you give your prediction. Oh, I'm still going to use the prediction. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then I uh, I predicted uh, for 2023 that data sovereignty will drive single pane of glass against multi-cloud. Um, and I missed this one. I mean, definitely did not see a single pane of glass 
around multi-cloud and not see a common you know model for that. I kind of thought we see more standards coming out in that space, but on the data sovereignty side, I hit that out of the park. Mm-hmm. Data sovereignty has been everywhere this year, even more so than last year. Um, you know, we've seen announcements, we've seen features, we've seen things, and I think I just I was too early. I think is really what it comes down to. Uh, and maybe you'll see in 2024. I'm not going to predict it again for 2024 because it already burned me once. But uh, I will see, you know, kind of where things head in the future. But yeah, data sovereignty, big deal this year. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of feel with a lot of the announcements around data sovereignty, the problem is a lot bigger than, you know, the single pane of glass and the visibility really, you know, as far as the value of the solution that provides. Like, we really have a problem with how are we going to manage data within these sort of defined areas. And, and while I think you get a lot from the visibility on that, but I, I think it's more along the lines of like the, the backend infrastructure that, or the, the separation and just ma- managing that and having visibility. So we've got more foundational things that we have to tackle first. I mean, even Oracle had an announcement around data sovereignty this year. Yeah. And their data centers are in like shoeboxes spread around the world. So I thought it was towards garage. They're, big, they're, they're semi-trucks. They just drive them to the country and then get the press and they drive it to the next country and just get the press again. You know, then if people actually buy, then they'll, they'll put one there permanently. That's how it works. They'll, park, they'll just park the truck. It's, it's actually a snowmobile that they just park. Yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's a long-term lease on a snowmobile. That's, that makes sense. Uh, okay, let's see. Moving on through our crystal balls. Ryan, an influx of all the AI and no-code solutions will converge. Yeah, I don't think I got that one. I mean, I, I think we're getting closer. I, mm-hmm. I think you were, I think much like my prediction, you were just maybe a year or two too early mm-hmm. on this. But, you know, it, it just is the natural evolution of no code. If, you know, because the, the problem we always had with no code was that you would end up in a situation where you need to drop into code and then you're not a coder. So what do you do? And now mm-hmm. you can at least ask the AI model, like, hey, write me a code that takes this thing and does this thing to it. And it might work. It might not work. <laughs> but then, you know, Google promises you can use the AI to fix the AI. So, you know, mm-hmm. someday. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd be tempted to give Ryan a point for that because if you look at things like simulators built into generative AI, you can have it write the code and run the code for you. So I, I'd, I'd say that was pretty close. I don't, I don't think he's far off. I just think no. he's Yeah, I, I didn't early. quite see a solution that that sort of fit. Like, yeah, we definitely saw you know a lot of movement in that direction, a lot of you know adding AI to existing tool sets and existing like consoles. And, you know, I think that that's getting very close to that, but I, you know, what I didn't see was, yeah, the, the, uh, the closest I saw was an announcement in, at Google next where they were talking about, I think oh, blanket on the name of the service. I think it was like application orchestrator or something like that, where they, they created this no code app using AI by giving it natural language prompts. Mm. Um, and that was sort of the closest I saw, but it was sort of, you know, the only mention of it. And I think we'll, we'll continue to see it. I think that, you know, I think the way we interact with a lot of software and a lot of business processes is going to continue to change. So you'll see this a lot more, I believe. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's helping more like around like SQL. Like you can there, I know Microsoft has some models, but you can kind of just talk to it and it will like read your data model in SQL and then like output, like the SQL statements, select what you want it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's a little bit more focused on like, developers type stuff less than like general person that says hey i want to build an application that does a b and c and magically here's your app that does it mm-hmm. yeah I, nice. think, I, I think long term 
long term, this is just going to chip away at more and more areas of, of the stack. And I think we'll just end up at a point where, you know, we, we won't need to compile code. We won't need Python interpreters. You'll literally just have an, an, a general AI that you can say, I'd like you to do this, please. Mm-hmm. Just like hiring a person. I'd like yeah. you to do this. I'd like you to take the stage from here and do this. And you'll never see the code because the code won't ever exist. It'll just yeah. be... It's the Star Trek computer, right? Like yes, that's, absolutely. That's what it's going to be, yeah. And uh, you know, awesome. Hopefully with much more complicated self-destruct sequences. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or not, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're right all along. <laughs> yeah. All I can think of is the XKCD of like the developer slacking off going, it's compiling and now mm-hmm. they can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Or they can do that all the time. Like, I don't know which way I go on that. Like, <laughs> But not both. Yeah. I, I mean, I do. I am really impressed how many code assistants came out this year mm-hmm. and the quality of the code assistants and the improvements that those are seeing. And, uh, you know, again, I think this is just just a little too soon. But I think once those models start writing really reliable code that people can trust and, and you know, doesn't have as many errors and problems, I think potentially the leading to no code is just an obvious answer. But of course, uh, this year, Amazon did give up on honey code. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. uh, a fortunate situation there. I mean, it was never fully integrated with the console. Like, it was always its own little, like, side project, I felt like. Like, it had its own auth, its own everything. Like, it never yeah. was really, I thought, felt like part of, like, the AWS experience. Well, they've, they've got some other services that are kind of like that, too. Uh, Code Catalyst being one of them. And then you've got, um, I think it's a part of the Cloud9 stuff, the IDE. I think some of that's all built outside of Amazon natively so i mean like it's not unheard of but the fact that they announced it with a bunch of fanfare so this is the future of a bunch of stuff and then basically ignored it for two years probably isn't a good way to you know incubate a product yeah and i think there's re- you know the code catalyst thing makes sense to me in this you know the reasons why it's outside at least you know there's reasons for it whereas honey code i i, I didn't understand why it was separate you know i kind of wonder if they were just testing the market with it just to, to see what the kind of reaction they get because it was clearly not well developed. It, it was not fully featured by any means. Honestly, I think Visual Basic from the '90s was probably better at building apps than than uh, Honeycode ever was. Well, I think they got they got pro, they got caught in their own hype, right? Because they there's a bunch of articles that came out before Honeycode that were basically saying that Honeycode was the future of Amazon and you know all this hype, and they'd hired all these developers, and they spent all this money on it, and I feel like they were forced to ship to show something versus being ready. And then when they shipped what they shipped, and it was such a dud. It, everyone just lost interest very quickly. And so it was a situation where they launched too early due to pressure outside of Amazon and then, you know, suffered from that consequence of the first impression is the only impression people have. Was it an acquisition though? Cause like, I remember like Macy when it first came out, like they quickly, they bought, they bought the company that essentially became Macy and then they integrated it in the console, but like not like completely native, like it looked all different, but like still was kind of set up in the console. And then, when they V2'd it, like it became in the, like it became a lot more native and you know actually priced at a reasonable price point. So I, I thought Honeycode might have been the same thing, but I never actually did the research on it. I, don't, I think they built it from scratch. Um, oh, okay. Google Google bought AppSheet, which was kind of their entry into the play, and Amazon hired a bunch of people from AppSheet to basically build AppSheet 2.0, um, mm-hmm. and they hired a bunch of really high you know, high visibility executives from former no code companies. So that's, they built it themselves, but I think that's the problem in some cases. They would have been better off buying it for somebody else. 
All right. And uh, Peter or meter, as we're call it now, since it's Matt and Peter's prediction, <laughs> the recession will drive significant <laughs> developer layoffs and drive automation solutions for ops and deployment. Um, so this one's tricky. because layoffs are definitely still a thing in 2023. Um, but I don't, it wasn't driven by a recession. It was driven by corporate greed <laughs> more than anything. Uh, and you know, basically a me too, follow me over the cliff lemming attitude of wall, uh, you know, wall street and Silicon Valley. And so basically wall street said you have to be profitable. Tech companies said, well, I can be profitable by laying people off and they did so. And then they were rewarded by the stock market. And then when everyone else saw they were able to do that too, they all followed suit and did like some more layoffs. The recession never came. So that didn't happen. And then it, you know, the fact that we are laying off developers in these companies hasn't driven automation solutions for ops or deployments, in my opinion. No, I think there, there's, you know, you're seeing the rise of platform engineering, but I don't think that that's a result of, you know, staffing levels or, or layoffs. I think that that's due to more of like just the complexity of which we have to operate. And, and that, and, you know, trying to get uniform standards across, you know, build pipelines and, and management of developer environments. So, like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I, I, the layoffs did continue, but I, 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 don't, I don't really see it tied to, yeah, the, the financial ecosystem. And, and I think it was a lot of just, you know, just to say so that you say you could try, you tried everything. Like, it's really strange. Yeah, but Peter's not here to defend it, and I don't think yeah. Matt believes in it either. So, <laughs> no, I, I don't think that it is. I don't think it's what happened. I mean, I agree. Layoffs did happen. I don't think it did drive automation in ops or deployments, no matter how much I really wish it did. All right. Well, I think that's a you know, if you're making your stock predictions based on us, you've now learned for the third year in a row. Don't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please don't do that. Yeah, as uh, we're not very good at this, as you can see. Uh, so before the uh, before the show, we uh, rolled our magic dice in Slack, and uh, for favor announcements, uh, I've hit up first. Uh, Ryan got second, and then Jonathan got third, and Matt got fourth. And then it switches around for 2024 predictions, which we'll do after our look back here. Uh, so since I'm first, uh, I don't know where to start. Should I start with Microsoft? Should I start with Google? Start with AWS. Oh, oh yeah. You know, Start with sure. Google, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, there's. Just, I want to give you guys a shot on Google because there wasn't a lot of them, and I I did do some research and came up with some things that I thought were relevant there. So yeah, let's 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 go with uh, let's go with AWS. So my favorite AWS announcement uh, was AWS has joined the FinOps Foundation as a premier member, which means they will be supporting Focus, uh, and so finally we will have a common uh, FinOps standard for all four cloud providers, which I think is amazing. And so I was super happy about that announcement. Uh, and that's what I picked. So I'm going to stand by it because I'm very happy on this one. And it's not just I'm second up to the FinOps Foundation because I do like those guys too. But it's really about the focus <laughs> thing and really about the fact they got AWS to do it is amazing. That's the kind of announcements an executive would pick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, I Jonathan. Was trying, I appreciate was trying it. to think of a funny, funny way to say that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm also trying to leave you guys with, you know, with low hanging fruit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nice excuse. No one's buying this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, then Ryan, give us your, give us your witty AWS. Pick. <laughs> oh, you didn't say it'd have to be witty. You said it had to be my favorite. Um, 
it's funny because like the I think the the I'm gonna cheat and it's sort of like two. Um because and I know that I'm not stealing the second one from anyone because it's all it's an announcement only I could love. So that uh which is why I want to go with it. So I think the most impactful announcement they made was their their sort of data zone announcement where where they're sort of allowing you know, the access to data sets without having to copy over data sets. And I think that's going to be very impactful as we start, you know, using data from very many sources to train AIs and to do all kinds of machine learning. Um, and I think that's the most impactful. But the the one, if I was true to myself, um, my favorite announcement is that systems managers that can be set for default for an AWS account to work. I had that one on my list too. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have said that I was going to be alone in that. Like it's just, it's one of nope. those things. Yeah. Yeah. I have like 10 that like I got down to, I was like, I'm just winging it again, you know, and mm-hmm. that's on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, if you'll post a link to that, uh, if you all post your links to the uh, article you picked, mm-hmm. uh, that'd be great. But uh, yeah, no, that one, uh, it was definitely it crossed my mind and I thought about it for a good couple minutes, but I didn't even paste it in my honorable mentions. <laughs> but I did look at it, so I was like, mm, that one might be nice, nicely done. All right, Jonathan. Uh, all right, so maybe unusual. Uh, I think my favorite announcement, my favorite announcement, that's such a <laughs> <sighs> the announcement which which I was most pleased to see was actually that uh, TLS inspection through Network Firewall was available. Everywhere, because TLS inspection. Okay. Yeah, I mean, okay, so it's not you know, it's not thrilling. It's not AI. I had to, I had to not pick an AI thing. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it wasn't it wasn't going to be data governance or anything. Well, you know, this is, but no, I, I'm I'm super pleased. TLS inspection. You know, those appliances are typically very expensive. Um, they don't scale well. They're not designed for cloud, and and to have a cloud provider offered this as a service built into the network firewall integrated with the rest of the network firewall is amazing. Yeah, it was, it was a good announcement. Uh, I, there was something similar around TLS that I looked at too, and I forgot about this one. So nice, nice pickup on this one, but uh, yeah, no, it's nice to see this. It's good to have a solution that's out of the box because yeah, I was actually just having this conversation with security at, at the day job where we're like, Hey, we want VPC flow logs. I'm like, cool, cool. That's awesome. We'll turn that on for you. But what are you going to do with them? Are these going to sit in the right. bucket? Because if they're just going to sit in the bucket, they're not valuable. Um, and so that was one of the uh, the ways I like to make security mad at me at the holidays. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. I call them out on their BS. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, <laughs> there we are. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, yeah. it's still, I think it's still pretty limited as, as a service goes because technology is moving faster than they can implement solutions like this. So it doesn't work well with TLS 1.3. It doesn't work with with lots of uh, things like OC, OCSB stapling. You know, there's, there's lots of reasons it doesn't work. It doesn't work with WebSockets over uh, HTTP, HTTP 2. There's, there's lots of limitations for it. But the thing is, it does cover a lot of use cases for a lot of people who aren't using those technologies. And we waited a long time for it. So I'm, I'm happy. I'll never pay for it, but I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the pricing for some of that stuff was gets up there real fast. Yeah. Yes, right. yes, it does. But again, if you're paying for the do-it-yourself, it's expensive too. So it's one of those, if you're yeah. paying for it in the, in the old model, it's uh, real pricey as well. So it's, your experience uh, may vary depending on if you had to pay for the big stuff. All right, Matt, what's your first AWS uh, favorite announcement? The one I thought I liked the most was the fault injection service now lets you test multi-AZ and multi-region. 
And there was a couple other ones. This was up there for me just because, look, for years you preach, hey, you need to be able to, to have everything BHA and, you know, and multi-region if you want DR, you know, if you need a hot, hot setup or anything like that. But there was no way to really test it. And I still remember years ago, we like did knackles to disable, you know, between network, between AZs in order to prove to someone that we could do multi-AZ and we were hot, hot for, you know, helping a client with their compliance. And like, there was no good way to do it. And now they have actually give you the ability to test what they tell you you have to do. And you pay a good amount with cross-AZ charges. And if you're doing true hot, hot in multi-regions, like you're paying for all that. But there was no way to test it until, I don't know, a networking out route, a networking issue on the AWS backbone in US East 1, you have to fail over to US West 2. You know, there was no way to test any of it. And the ability to test is really what I like about this service or this feature. Yeah. I remember you were pretty excited about it when it got announced too. So yeah. I'm not surprised to see that one actually <laughs> from you. Uh, but yeah, it is definitely a, a problem if you haven't had to experience a US East 1 outage. Um, although that's been my chaos engineering for that forever. Just put my stuff yeah. in US East 1 and then I get it tested at least once a quarter. So. Yeah. One zone goes down. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Just a little fire. It's not a big deal. Nice. Uh, all right. Well, that's, that's a good, that's a good set of AWS ones. I had some honorable mentions. I pasted in here to the show notes. You guys can put yours in too. But uh, Ryan already mentioned his data zones, which was his honorable mention. Uh, I did uh, AWS One Vest $35 billion to expand its Virginia data center presence just because I was shocked at how much money they're spending. <laughs> uh, they finally retired the dreaded AWS documentation on GitHub that was out of date and terrible in that whole process. So I was glad about that and just, you know, quality of life improvements. Uh, temporary elevated access management with IAM Identity Center was a, a definite, you know, that one was high on my list. I have that one. Uh, yep. Apparently Ryan did as well. And so Matt did. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the new AWS public IPv4 address char- charge and public IP insights. Not because I'm happy about the charge, but mostly because I'm happy that someone is trying to get us to IPv6, even though AWS is doing a terrible job of it. <laughs> <laughs> the other ones I had that you didn't list, uh, the metadata v2 by default was enabled. Ah, uh, yes. But, you know, which just a nice security hole that they were able to fix. Uh, I had the elevated permission. The EC2 instance connect, that I think Jonathan mentioned last week. You can now SSH without public IP addresses, which I thought was nice. Um, the quality of life of just Lambda's functions being able to scale 12 times faster was like one of those quiet announcements that just kind of got shoved out there, I think, in pre-event. Yep. But like that exponential scale increase makes life a lot better. And then I had AWS notifications all in one place. So like you could go to one place in your AWS console and see all the regions and everything. I thought that was pretty nice. No one, No one brought up Bedrock. No one brought up anything around LLM and Gemini or any of those things. So, yeah, good nice. <laughs> so apparently reInvent was a bust for all of us because none of these were, were reInvent <laughs> uh, announcements. So just a little tidbit there as you look through them. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to GCP and see if I can come up with something uh, that isn't an executive thing that they would love. <laughs> as he changes uh, his choice. <laughs> no, I, I have a selection. I have a selection of them. Uh, you know, I don't know if I want as executive as the first one I chose, but uh, mine is uh, Google Domains is shutting down and sold to Squarespace because <laughs> just hilarious. Yeah. Like, can't I can't ha- like Google was slim pickings, and so I went the other direction. I went with 
the most terrible announcement for Google, but hilarious to me personally. And so that was this one, uh, as now all of your Google domains are on Squarespace because that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I I had a hard time with GCP, and I went as far back as reading through our show notes for every every episode in in 2023, going there had to be more than this, right? Because I was you know came up bust, and it no no there 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 wasn't, and you know there's a lot of quality of life improvements, things that are nice to have, things that should have been in the products from day one. Um, things I like, but something that I could call my favorite announcement. Like the reality is, is that what I came up with was the, the pricing and the, the quota APIs, you know, <laughs> so yeah. it's like, okay, you know, yeah. like it's not great. <laughs> That's pretty decent. Two out of three of mine yeah. shut down. So Jonathan, don't, don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll be surprised if, if what I went for ruins yours. Nice. Uh, well, I do, th- I do think, uh, you know, it, it was interesting going through show notes, how many weeks we had no, no, no news for Google. And I was like, it can't be that bad. I think Google mm-hmm. posted a 2023, like top announcements for Google cloud. And for every one of their services, they had a blog post for every service. So I went through the Google cloud when I was like, oh yeah, this is about what I had in the show notes. There's not mm-hmm. much more here. That's interesting. So yeah, rough, rough for sure on the Google side. All right, Ryan, what, uh, what was your favorite Google announcement? Uh, that was the, 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 uh, pricing and quota APIs was the only thing I could come up with for Google. All right. Well, I'll let you post that into link. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that we could look at prices of, of services and what our quota usages. You can adjust your quotas and request increases via API versus yeah. just, so when they announced the support case, when they finally announced the feature, they talked to us about it next for quotas, then that could be your favorite announcement next year. So <laughs> you can look forward to that. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, what's your favorite Google announcement? Uh, so my favorite announcement was um, AlloyDB Omni. Ah, I was on my list too, but I did not choose it. Ah, wonderful. No, I, we, we talked before about how the, the real value of a lot of these cloud providers is, is not just the, not just the compute and it's the value-added services they provide. And AlloyDB is, um, is a really good Postgres-compatible database and it's available not for free, unfortunately. It's still quite, it's still pretty expensive. Uh, um, uh, but you can run it on-prem. You can run it in the cloud. You can run it locally. You can run it wherever you like. And not only that, but, I mean, it does have machine learning-driven optimizations. It does do some things that Postgres doesn't do and, and caches data in a columnar data store in memory to be super fast. It's much faster than Postgres for, tra- for transactional uh, or for transactions. It manages a lot of the Postgres chores, like vacuuming data and, and regular maintenance for you. And most importantly, it comes with a really amazing operational guide on how to run it as a service at scale, highly available. Elasticsearch, Elastico, we're looking at you because you know this kind of puts you to shame, honestly. <laughs> Um, but it is, it's, it's still pretty expensive. I mean, it's like, I think it was like. 100 vCPUs uh, were $7,000 per month. Yeah, I, I think like entries, minimum 16 vCPUs, which yep. is about $1,200. Yeah. $1,300 a month, which is, I mean, it's not, it's not terrible. That's uh, before discounts. So, I mean, you, you do right. discounts off those prices. So, yeah, it's not bad. It's I mean, not compared terrible, to SQL right. Server or Oracle, it's a great price. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I like the idea of being able to run it locally um, or anywhere for that matter. I can't believe you missed the most important part of this announcement, though, which is that they have an AlloyDB Omni Kubernetes operator to make it work in, in Kubernetes easily. So, I mean, I mean, come on. 
Nice. That was a, yeah, that was on my list too. I almost went with that one as well. So I'm glad I didn't yeah. ruin it for you. <laughs> no, I mean, it, really, it's not. It's not even about LoDB specifically. It's it's just more about the idea that that the products are being sold outside the clouds now, mm-hmm. so people can realize those values without having to be customers of the cloud. Yeah, I mean, RDS has existed uh, for on-prem for ridiculous amounts of money. <laughs> you could run MySQL and Postgres through RDS. But uh, this is a little bit better because the nice thing about this AlloyDB thing too is that you can actually even run it on a local laptop, mm-hmm. um, which I know the RDS for thing I think required VMware on-prem or Hyper-V. So I think you know the nice thing about this is that if you have local development needing for AlloyDB, you can have that. If you need it in cloud, you know, Kubernetes, it's kind of like put it wherever you want it and you'll get it, which is nice. Yep. All right, Matt, what was your GCP unless that was it? <laughs> That was not it, but this is like the bottom of the barrel. It was just <laughs> cloud run services being able to have backends for both uh, regional and internal load balancers. Um, and it's one of those just nice, simple quality of life improvements mm-hmm. that just makes life better that you don't have to have everything public facing. You know, I, and I like the idea of cloud run. If I ever started to really use Google, I would attempt to use the service because the premise of it sounds nice and I don't like to have everything public. It just feels like a bad life choice. But yes, you both ruined my two more interesting ones of Google (laughs) selling domains and pricing APIs. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Well, there was only six announcements, so, you know, there's going to be some overstep. Yeah, there was only something you could do. Uh, So I I did have some honorable mentions on Google as well, because again, I was trying to help you guys out. Uh, so I, I enjoyed Google warns its own employees do not use code generated by Bard. <laughs> always, a, always a plus. Always enjoyable. Again, another troll announcement for that one. And then uh, this one actually isn't having a Google Cloud thing, but it's a Google thing in general, which is that password list by default. They're making the switch to pass keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love pass keys. I, it's so much, so nice. I love using my phone for that kind of stuff. Uh, being able to get away from you know two-factor authentication with Authy and all the other crap that I have to do for other things I do. Uh, it's nice. I, I appreciate this world that we're moving to with pass keys being led by Google and Apple, and I hope that one continues on down the path. And then, anyone else have any honorable mentions for GCP? Uh, yeah, I, I had. Uh, I was considering the this the announcement of Spanner zero downtime uh, region moves, as well as like the zero downtime read replica creation in any region. I thought that that was a, a really nice enhancement to the spanner service. And I think it's something that, you know, it's still a quality of life thing, but it's also one of those things that is powerful in a lot of, a lot of ways, right? Not only for BCP and replication, um, but also for, you know, being able to quickly react to loaded conditions and, and, and put up a replica, you know, closer to where your customers are accessing data. I just, think that's pretty neat. Nice. I did not have any honorable mentions. I, it was slim picking, so I... I like. Yeah. Yeah, and Ryan surprised me because, you know, he was asking to share the archive doc before the show. It's like, I didn't do his homework, and now he's got all these <laughs> things. things. I'm like, it's pretty shame slightly, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no poker playing with Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been waiting months and months to hire your new AWS GCP Azure architect? only to have them be poached at the 11th hour by a startup with a juice bar. Initiatives stalled because you're having trouble hiring? Well, I have a simple solution, Foghorn Consulting. 
Falcon Consulting provides top-notch cloud engineers to the world's most innovative companies and can be burning down your DevOps and cloud backlogs as soon as next week. Falcon certified AWS, GCP and Azure professionals are armed with infrastructure as code and from day one will be designing performant, optimized cloud native or hybrid environments that deliver on the promise of cloud. Their FogOps solution even provides on-demand cloud engineering to augment your existing teams. Visit www.foghornconsulting.com or send an email to cloudtalentnow at foghornconsulting.com and tell them the CloudPod sent you. Your dedicated FogOps team is with you for the long haul and they bring their own juice. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that puts me up on Azure, which I, yeah, again, I, that's probably one of the executives love, but uh, my Azure item was uh, Microsoft Security Copilot empowering defenders at the speed of AI, uh, which was a bunch of AI tooling they gave to security SOC engineer teams uh, around how to secure your cloud environment, secure Azure, uh, Microsoft 365. Uh, and I just, I, SOC teams are desperately underwater and they desperately need help. And so I just like this announcement for that reason alone. And that was, uh, that's why I picked it. So again, very executive answer because it doesn't actually get me that excited personally, but I'm just excited for what it can mean for other people. Well, call me an executive because mine is uh, very similar. So the, the, the announcement I was focusing on was the, the announcement of Microsoft Security Copilot. Um, which they announced way back in March, um, you know, which is, you know, the, the beginning of the AI dread, which I didn't know it at the time, but I, I really like the idea that you not only are you getting, you know, AI recommendations and security of your subscriptions, but it's also like a, there was, you know, a guided investigation, um, asking, you know, questions about, you know, traffic and movement using natural language. I, I just think that's a really neat tool. And I think that it's, I think that's going to be the shift um, in security tooling. I think you'll see a lot less, you know, sort of s- traditional SIM type actions and you'll see a lot more, you know, AI guided security operations just because, yes, I think that almost everyone, every security org I know is underwater and doesn't have enough staff. And so you're going to have to automate and you're going to have to figure out you know, different ways to, to secure your environments. Very nice. All right, Jonathan. I tried really hard not to pick an AI thing. <laughs> and if you're going to pick an AI thing though, Microsoft would be the one to pick. I mean, it really, <laughs> it kind of has to be. <laughs> it's actually the, the thing I was, uh, the, the announcement to Ignite for the Maya AI chip. Well, I think is what caught my eye um, because it's an absolutely enormous beast of a chip with 105 billion transistors and a five nanometer process. That's an enormous um, piece of silicon. Um, but I just, in general, I kind of, I kind of like the trend, uh, you know, since, since the beginning of, of, uh, you know, integrated circuits and we started off with very specific um, silicon chips to do very specific things that became com- kind of commoditized. Then we branched off into, more general compute and then that kind of took off for a very long time and then you know in the past five or ten years we've been getting much more back into into asics for very specific things nvidia were very lucky to to have uh i I think there was a announcement or a press release from intel recently kind of calling nvidia out as being very lucky being in the right place at the right time with with their gpus at the dawn of ai and i kind of agree with that 
and we've been very lucky. But um, I, in general, I kind of like the trajectory back towards um, silicon design for very specific purposes. It's much more efficient. It's much faster. It's much cheaper to run. And I think it's I think it's a good thing. And more importantly than that, um, any I think at this point any competition um, for Nvidia is only going to be good for the world because they are gouging the hell out of prices for everything that they sell at this point because nobody else comes close to their performance. And if Maya actually lives up to the expectations, um, they'll have some serious competition on their hands. How does the number of transistors transistors on that compare to like the latest gen of Graviton? No. Do you know? Okay, cool. No. We don't do research here. No. <laughs> Not on Graviton. Well, I just didn't know if it was like, you know, in the same ballpark or if they literally were like exponentially more, you know, so. And you know a lot more about yeah. hardware. I mean, I, I think, again, you're talking about the... I don't think it's Graviton you'd be comparing it to. I think you'd be comparing it to the inference chips, the inferentia. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, but I, yeah, I had to go do some research to remember what those are because they've announced so many things in that space this year that it's hard to keep track of. Yeah. I mean, it's also not really apples for apples. Uh, the Graviton 4 has 96 cores and estimates put it between 95 and 100 billion transistors, which is just an insane number to begin with. But mine is very specifically not general compute. Um, and designed for AI workloads. Actually, I forgot to mention something which I also thought was interesting about this chip. Other companies have gone down the path of building chips for inference separate for separate from uh, chips for training. So, you know, Amazon's got Trainium and then the Inferential chip. Mm-hmm. Um, this is unique in that it's it's it sort of solves both use cases. But does it solve both use cases well? Because... There's always the argument between general use chips versus specific built chips. Mm. Uh, and so it's always like, yes, you get more flexibility, but at what cost and performance? And, you know, does that eventually burn them later? Right now, they have more transistors, so they're probably faster. But does that continue to hold long term? I'd be curious to see. Time will tell. Time will tell. All right. And then, Matt, your Azure prediction. I'm, I'm assuming you have the best one because you know the most about these announcements. I went with a really boring one just because it fascinated me that it was one of those I was always shocked by the way it was built is that um, they have in public preview. So let's start with that private subnets, uh-huh. aka if uh-huh. you launch a scale set, it will not the server will not get a public IP address. And the fact that, that just didn't exist before November 16th, 2023 still fascinates me to today. <laughs> So I actually, I just listened to the episode you guys did without me while I was in India and I was listening to Matt just talk about how amazed he was this whole thing. And it's so funny that you bring that up again. Cause I was like, hey, that was, that is really interesting. I hadn't thought about it. In time. I mean, there was ways around it still. Yeah. <laughs> My honorable mentions were the cross region load balancer and Azure, Azure joins the stack overflow. All right. Which I thought were just kind of fun ones. So. You know, especially with how Azure pairs all the regions and everything like that. Yeah, so for my Azure, I had secure your cloud environment with the cloud next-gen firewall by Palo Alto Networks, uh, mostly because it's funny to me that they started the craze that now everyone's on board of because, you know, of course, Google followed up with their next-gen firewall with Palo Alto as well. And I didn't realize that Azure actually was a trendsetter because I, I was giving Google more credit than I should have. I thought they came up with it first, which they did not. 
Uh, and then uh, the other one I did was uh, Azure Native ISV service down preview because it's the dumbest service I've ever seen in my life. Um, and so that was the other one that I, I put in there. So. Yeah, I didn't have any honorable mentions for Azure. It just seemed like a, just a sea of AI and other related posts. And, you yeah, know, like it was now that you guys mentioned Gemini. No one mentioned Bedrock. Just Azure was the only one who got credit. So there you go. I tried not to, honestly. I'm kind of. Yeah, I tried not to as well. Yeah, so did I. Uh, in case you guys came with absolutely nothing for um, <laughs> for GCP, <laughs> uh, I did have two just general tech you know, announcements that I sort of enjoyed over the year. Uh, and so I'll put those in the honorable mentions as well. It was rather than the, uh, the all the availability zones in the same building. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, New Relic launched a Grok. Just because I love a great uh, sci-fi reference like that, uh, and it's actually pretty good. Using New Relic at the day job, I can ask Rock all kinds of questions, and it gives me pretty good answers. And then the other one was uh, "Rest in Peace, Twitter." Hello X. Just because uh, eight months in now, I still can't call it X. Nope. I don't think I'll ever be able to. No. Uh, and I can't wait for it to go bankrupt, which has to be any day. Yeah. Wait, what which about is not Oracle a prediction stars? for 2024, but I'm sure it'll happen. <laughs> It has definitely become what a toxic Oracle stories? The bus. I had a really good Oracle one. Yeah, you can mention your Oracle story, sure. Easily install Oracle Java on Oracle Java Linux on OCI. Oh. On Oracle mm-hmm. Java Linux on OCI. I, I mean, isn't it just like yum install Java on Oracle Java Linux? I mean, is it really that complicated? We actually talked about it, and I still don't know because I still haven't tried it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'd have to go dust off my Oracle account. I don't even know if it's still working because I haven't yeah. logged into it for so long. I don't know. Like reason number one for not using Oracle's Java is just the process by which you have to get the damn binaries. Like go yeah. to a website and click stuff <laughs> yeah. and type things in and check boxes and like just it's so difficult for no reason. Mm-hmm. So the lawyers can sue you because you didn't mm-hmm. you check the box that said I immediately agree to pay you my life savings plus fifty yeah. percent. Yeah. And then immediately I have to maintain a mirror of, of the yeah. binary in somewhere yeah. that I can fetch it reliably because I don't trust just, <laughs> the I'm just looking, download site. I'm just looking at the website here and it's like, oh yeah, you still got to open a terminal. You still got to do a list JDKA to see which Java package. Like, isn't this just the default? And then you got a DNF install dash Y JDK dash 21 dash headful or headless depending on which one you want. Well, that's just annoying. Yeah, that's stupid. Okay. It's not easy on Oracle. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Like, like I'll stick with I'll stick with Amazon Linux. Yum install open JDK. Right. Done. Or whatever the dumb name of Amazon's is. I never remember the name of which I don't use. So. Coretto? Yeah, it's it? Coretto. Thank Coretto, you. Yeah. yeah. I knew it was something with coffee, but I mm-hmm. couldn't remember. All right. Well, since uh, I got to go first on my predictions, uh, Matt gets to go first on his 2024 prediction. Because we do that in reverse I really order. I want to do that. Yeah, well, that's where you're at. I'm not totally screwed on this one. So, yeah. with your with your crystal ball, Matt, what do you think is going to happen in 2024? So, are we still doing by cloud or in general? This is just general. We don't. <laughs> we you get three, oh, okay. but you don't have to make them cloud specific. They just be general things, and just because you know our crystal balls are already weak enough for prediction shows, let alone try to do a full year. I, I literally saw my notes. I have I did it by cloud and I have a few overall random ones and my GCP one's just empty because I nice. couldn't think of anything. Like, so, um, 
I think that overall, this is where I will go jump into LLMs and stuff like that. I think we're going to start to see a lot of the, um, like the entryways into getting into LLMs and doing custom trainings for your own models. I think you're going to see a lot of the cloud providers figure out how to break down that barrier and that will become a lot simpler and easier um, over the next year, whether it's new services or, you know, better start guides or some really it's probably gonna be better services. I'll stick with that one that it should just, it's going to become easier and that's where they're really gonna um, hopefully be able to have people, you know, leverage those services for them. How do we measure that exactly? I have no idea. That seems like a 2025, 20, it just seems like a 365 day from now problem. You, you think we're going to get there? You think we're, yeah. You think we're going to make it? Cause did, like, you see, did you see our last announcements? Like, uh, you know, we're, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think we'll know when we see it, Jonathan. I, that's how I feel like we'll, we'll be here and we'll say, oh yeah, that's obvious because of the blah, blah, blah service that came out that made all of our lives easier. Like we'll either know it or I think it'd be clear. That's my feeling. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll be None wrong. None of mine are okay. metrics driven. This is yeah, not none of ours smart are goals. That for for, <laughs> for the years. This is these are all more open ended. I want more OKRs than your smart goals, but it's fine. Yeah. Anything uh, else? Well, that's his first one. That was my first one. Yeah. Oh, we just we do one each. And then yeah, doing one each. We'll rotate oh, okay. through just like last time. All right. All right, Jonathan, you're up for your first prediction for 2024. There will be mass layoffs in tech directly attributed to job replacement by AI in the first quarter of 2024. Oh, very specific. In the, in the first quarter. Wow, he, went, he did go with a smart, yeah. a smart goal for that one because he gave yeah, he us... Yeah. By which Directly I mean, attributed and a time frame. Wow. 10,000 10, 10, people or more. I suspect this one will be hard for you to win because I don't think... Well, even if it's true, I don't think they'll announce it. But I don't think that they will um, I mean, we just attribute saw, it to AI. I mean, I'm directly. seeing uh, pizza companies lay off delivery drivers because of $20 minimum wages. So, yeah, you know, that's right. Pizza laid off all the California drivers, yeah. didn't they? They're very, uh, very clear that's because of the the minimum wage. Which I'm like, I that's a good scapegoat. I'm pretty sure you were already looking at like that's a cost savings you can do with DoorDash. <laughs> you can pay right. a lot less money to DoorDash to deliver than you can to your own people. But, and that's a protest against legislation. Yeah, you know. So yeah. All right, Ryan, your first 2024 prediction. Oh, um, I mean, we're going to continue to be very tired of AI announcements. Is that a prediction? <laughs> I mean, uh, we're already I think there. it's a given. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, you know, I have a kind of similar one to Jonathan's and, 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 but more positive. Um, I think we're going to start seeing the, uh, the, the sort of financial impact of, of AI in 2024. I think that will be, I think the companies will announce either profit, better profits or better operability numbers attributed directly to AI. Well, it'll be tied to layoffs that made it better profitable. Well, but, you yeah. know, like that's it is sort of we can both win there, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can. <laughs> but his is in time box to Q1. Yeah. That's right, it's no. not. No, I'm smarter than that. <laughs> I get two points for time boxing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't agree to that. 
Uh, I so I'm actually going sort of a different way on LLM. I'm going LLM will hit the trough of disillusionment either on cost, environmental impact, or people realizing how limited these models actually are. Ooh, yeah. We could have a whole episode on that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think I uh, I might agree with you until the lawyers get get a few things uh, sorted out because the you know the hundreds of people with with suits against OpenAI right now are just pu- pushing them into crippling the model and the output that the model can uh, can generate. And I think we're just nerfing the technology. Um, so we need to develop small models, which are capable in, in very specific areas that don't require training on things like New York Times or Reddit or mm-hmm. you know, Stack Overflow or something. Um, or the lawyers need to, to take this to the Supreme Court um, and get some ruling on fair use of copyright material. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. One of my uh, one of my other predictions of the year, which I'm not going to use because it's just too obvious it's going to happen, was uh, the lawyers will have their day in court against LLM. <laughs> mm. Yes, yes, <laughs> they will. We'll be able to make that prediction for the next several years. Yeah, on I, mean, I, but I, I think we'll have this. I mean, 2024 will definitely have the first ground mm-hmm. groundbreaking cases, uh, you know, start to go through the courts. So we'll see how that ends up. All right, back to you, Matt, for your second prediction. Um, I think that we're going to see. Kubernetes becomes simpler for smaller businesses to use and not require PhDs to operate it efficiently. Mainly more of a wish than anything, but you know, I think that Kubernetes has a lot of power and the amount of companies I still hear that are like, we just need to switch to Kubernetes, it will solve all the problems. You know, I think that maybe it's more of a hope that maybe <laughs> hopefully that we'll get there where it can just be simpler that to use, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm right because it'll make all of our lives and several hundred thousands hours of consultants lose business um, <laughs> as they have to make help with Kubernetes. But I would like to assume that we, that the, we could, as a technical community, make the tool be simpler to use. Again, I don't know how you're going to do this, but my bet is I'm already going to put money down that I'm going to lose on this one. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. as, as, as new Peter, you should be hoping this doesn't happen because Peter would be very upset that he wasn't being, yeah. being paid a lot of money to fix Kubernetes problems. So, yeah. All right. Good. Jonathan, you're number two. <laughs> Someone will start a cult following worshipping an AI, AI system as some kind of god. Something to announce, Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, you know what, I just think there's enough crazy people and, and you know, an, an uncensored, unmoderated large language model which has got information about all kinds of cultures, all kinds of religions, all kinds of everything. Um, I, I think someone getting a, a crazy person one or more crazy people getting access to that and talking to it and believing that it's either sentient or conscious or something else or some kind of higher power. I can see there will be in the news mm-hmm. a crazy person who is starting some kind of AI-based religion. I would not bet. Against, I would not bet against this. I agree. How <laughs> how do you say QAI? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, that, that's depressing and <laughs> highly likely. 
Um, so yeah, Ryan, you're number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also AI driven, which is uh, frustrating, <laughs> but it's, it's all you can, you know, when you're researching like trends and technology and looking at the announcements in 2023 and trying to predict where everything's going, it's hard to see anything else through all the noise right now. And so it's sort of, you know, in much like I do with, uh, the reinvent and the Google next shows where it's more of just my wish list of things I hope happen. Um, I mean, that was a nice thing for Matt too. So I, don't yeah, blame you. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, although I made a point if, if you look at the operators announcements in, in 2023 and that overall pattern, like I know that's just not going to happen. <laughs> maybe, there's maybe zero to, effort going to making Kubernetes. Maybe, the, maybe the solution is adding AI to Kubernetes. Maybe that's oh, oh God, no, out. please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's how Skynet starts. Right. Um, I, I want, uh, an AI solution that rep- that's geared towards new new employee onboarding and um, solving and answering internal documentation things. So, uh, you know, it'll replace the wiki technology essentially with uh, an AI chat interaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I guess the Amazon thing they announced that, you know, they no one's using because it <laughs> doesn't know how to properly do security. Uh, doesn't that, you know, it checks your confluence and checks all that stuff. And then you could, you could ask mm-hmm. that questions about employee onboarding, but you think there'd be a startup or an AI solution targeted specifically at that. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know who, who would do it or what space, but yeah. Cause I think, you know, with the remote work, uh, onboarding remote employees, became, you know, was highlighted as a challenge and the productivity was called out. Um, you know, and, and that was used as like a, a stepping stone for launching the return to office movement. And I think there'll be a natural response where they'll, you know, because it's hard, right? Like it's you, if you do a buddy system and you're tra- training new work, then you know, you're losing productivity of that existing staff member trying to train up the other one. And, you know, internal documentation is notoriously always out of date. And, and I think this is a, an example where AI can help dramatically um, and very indirectly to the, the business bottom line. Nice. So uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about, uh, you know, the problems with prompt hacking and the, trying to come up with solutions for prompt hacking. And, you know, fundamentally, the big problem in most AI models is the transformer itself and the way a transformer interprets language word by word in a sequential organization. And so when I was going down that rabbit hole, there was a bunch of chatter about, you know, we need different models than Transformer. And so I think this will be the year that we see a new AI training model that is not based on Transformer uh, that will get released into the market that will have a different viewpoint on how it interprets words. Hmm. I didn't even fully understand that. I heard Transformer and all I could think was... Robots you know, and Primes. Yeah. yeah, and- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Transformer is the Google sentiment white paper that now has led us to all ML and all AI and all LM, basically how you train a model and how you teach it. And basically, it's a very sequential operation of, of events uh, that basically is a part of the problem when you have a, a prompt hack is that you're basically, you know, if you said the first word and the second word and the third word and the third word is violating your principle, but you've already processed the first two words, you're already kind of down a path. Um, and if you can actually take all the words together and then search based on the concept of all three words versus one word, you'd actually be able to detect the issue beforehand, but also get a better response in many cases because you have the context of all three words. 
uh, versus the first two you read and now that you're adding the third. So it's just a different way of thinking about the model and how it gets trained and how it interprets the language you're putting into the prompt is really what you're talking about here. So Transformer, of course, there's a lot of white papers on Transformer. There's a lot of white papers on other conceptual ideas of AI training models. Uh, I'm sure someone's working on it just because that's the way not everyone can compete on LLM <laughs> with transformer models. You're going to have to be able to differentiate and to differentiate. You had to fix training. Mm-hmm. So that's my cool. Nice. I think you'll get a point for that. Mm-hmm. I hope so. All right. Back to Matt. So I tried to only have one of mine be AI, ML, LLM, all that related. So my next one, I, I have two of them still deciding between, um, but I think, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, you see a lot of people jump between jobs a lot more. Um, and I think you're going to see, you know, like, like other people said, the market, you know, layoffs happen. But you're also going to see people kind of just stay put, you know, at jobs and not jump ship as much, you know, between jobs, you know, for title or whatever increases. You're going to see people actually stay in locations. For, for a lot longer. So, so kind of like the longevity of, of the tenure of people at jobs is going to be an increase. So quiet quitting will be still a thing next year. Good. Thanks. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might still be there, but uh, are you, are you working or are you are quitting? You actually productive. Yeah. yeah. All right, Jonathan, number three, please. Another AI one, um, but not so much about the tech, more about the application. I th- I think next year AI will find uh, a new home in um, education because I think about uh, things like especially elementary school education where there's one very lowly paid uh, teacher for maybe 25 or 30 children of differing, significantly differing um, skills and abilities, you know, Potentially, some of the kids in, in school are ten months older than some of the other kids. You know, such a uh, and at that age, you know, the age of eight, nine, ten years old, it's a very large difference in, in ability within even a single grade. Um, you know, if, if, if kids are falling behind, it's very hard for them to catch up. I think AI will find an amazing home in education for one-on-one uh, teaching. Either it will be in a classroom. I think it will probably take longer to, to actually arrive in classrooms because that's that's going to be a legislative nightmare. But uh, I think there will be um, AI coaches available online to 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 teach, basically. That'd be interesting. Uh, I wrote down as and if no one else is going to build it, then you know, yeah, I, there's I, our million I, dollar I, I idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's an yep. interesting idea of like building custom lesson plans based on student need or student development level. Yep. You know, when you started talking about it, I thought you were first time referring to just, um, you know, like making lessons and doing new assignments. And But yeah, what you're talking about is actually more interesting. So. Yeah, I mean, you could, it could be very interactive. It could be multimedia, obviously not just text. I wouldn't expect seven or eight roles to be fluent in typing enough to interact with it. So it could be. Uh, visual and and speech based, and you know, ask it questions. Do you know what this is? No, let, let me walk you through it, kind of thing. I think um, that's an amazing use case. That's that's what I would like to see this technology used for. Got it. All right, Ryan, your third and final. So I tried to have none of mine 
announcements be about uh, AI, and it turns out they're all AI. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I say, like, wait, I just read the first two; they were both AI. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I did try, but I really couldn't think of anything that wasn't somehow related to AI, and so I decided to lean into it. So, following in on my wish list, what I want to see is um, the sort of removal of stateless firewalls or stateful firewalls, I should say, um, you know, as a sort of a, a traffic rule set. So like, you know, this, this network is allowed to talk on this protocol to this port. Um, I, I'm hoping to see that replaced with some AI technology that can use many forms of different contexts to determine whether traffic is allowed or not versus it being statically defined rules that either, you know, a, a network team has to manage or, or, you know, if, in the best cases where you're codifying it as your build pipeline using tags or something like that, by rules. So you want the next-gen, next-gen firewall. Correct. Yeah. All right. I mean, I can see all kinds of ways that it's violated. And oh, not, yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. No, imagine, you know, trying to talk your compliance officer through this. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We just give it to the robot, and the robot says it's cool or not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What could go no. wrong? Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's, uh, that'd be fun to talk to the security about. Uh, so I, <laughs> I want to go with, uh, a non AI one. Cause I had some non AI choices here cause I did a couple on that side as well. So I think we will see another large defector from the public cloud repatriating that is not 37 signals or X slash Twitter. Like a capital one or. Some, I, I, yeah, like, it's I'm trying be to like, think of someone who would be flagship. Yeah. Twilio kind of did it. A little bit. I mean, Netflix yeah. never really was all in anyway. Like they were always yeah. sort of hybrid. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I suspect some someone big is going to basically run down this path and start saying they're saving a bajillion dollars by going down it, and it's going to be a big press thing. And that's my expectation because it's just just Nasdaq. Nasdaq. Ooh, that'd be interesting. That would be devastating. That would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I, I mean, overall, I think that's a, a good set of predictions. Uh, I mean, I don't know how my crystal ball is, but I, they all seem plausible today. Now, in next December, I'll be like, we were idiots, but yeah. that's fine. Um, yeah, I was just thinking I had a couple other items here. I think dev productivity is going to be a hot topic for this year with dev portal solutions, mm-hmm. uh, getting big funding, IPOs, and getting some traction in the market. I think we'll finally see the next generation of FinOps tools that aren't just based on displaying your bill. Uh, I think that'll happen this year, but... Uh, yeah, overall, I think it's going to be an interesting year. Yeah, definitely. Well, now, uh, now I can now tell you what smarter people than us said. <laughs> uh, so uh, O'Reilly uh, had a bunch of questions they think are going to get answered in 2024. They thought we'd talk about it real quick. So first of all, they think 2024 is going to be the year of tech regulation, um, primarily around AI, which none of you guys talked about, but yeah, makes sense. Uh, you know, they talked about organized labor of unions and unions affecting technology, particularly AI as well. And they're predicting that it might be a backlash against the backlash against open source, uh, which would be interesting. And they particularly are pointing to open tofu and what happens with open tofu and how does it get adopted is, you know, they're kind of the third or fourth large company to go private source and then have an open source product come out. We've already seen open search get some traction and get some success. Uh, but open tofu is really kind of its own thing because it isn't been said by Google or Amazon or anybody that hey we're really going to adopt open tofu as our standard. Versus open search got you know picked up by Amazon right away, then Oracle followed suit, etc. So there's really not a big cloud vendor behind open tofu, and so that's kind of what they're they're thinking here will be kind of interesting. 
um, in that. They also uh, said it's simpler Kubernetes for everyone. So they are in the same boat as you, uh, Matt. So you're in good company on that one. Uh, and then they think that this year, this may be the year of the monolith and the rush back from microservices back to monoliths. Um, I think this has already kind of started happening in 2022, 2023 timeframe. So I think that's probably already starting to happen. Uh, and then AI systems are not secure will be a big trend. And then they don't think that the metaverse or NFTs are dead yet. And they'll have their time in the sun again in 2023. So O'Reilly, uh, some interesting ideas. I, I thought we'd share them real quickly. Uh, what do you guys think? I think they scraped the top five news articles of the past three months and just published that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh, yeah, that's fine. Fair, fair. I'm still trying to figure out when OpenTF became Open Tofu. Like, I, I somehow missed that. Like, it, what are you talking happened. about? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it happened like within a month of them announcing it, and we kind of stopped paying okay. attention to them until we, we said we wouldn't pick them up again until uh, people were actually using it. And I haven't seen me using it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it's GAing. I think I saw because I, I looked it up the other day because I hadn't heard about it in a while. I think it's GAing like January sixth, tenth, something like that. So I'm gonna go with early January. They're supposed to be GAing 1.0, or if they're gonna follow the HashiCorp 0.0.1 version of it. So they, they don't adopt the complete ignoring. <laughs> I mean, what is this I mean, a GA? Be, I mean, it would the, make the, sense, right? What is this a GA? They're, they've literally taken a clone. Well, they had to set up um, some of their own of someone else's repo and they renamed all the references. They had to strip out all the HashiCorp stuff. They had to remove <laughs> a bunch of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah like Jan- January pirate. 10th. You're right. They're going to roll out their release candidate. They're first scheduled for January 10th. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but. The other interesting one that I almost had for my in my Amazon list, but I pulled it out was the blog post because it wasn't really an announcement, but it was the blog post about how Prime Video went back from microservices to Monolith and like saved I don't know some like ninety percent speed money something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I had that in there, but then it wasn't really a news announcement. It was more like just how they did stuff. So I pulled it out, but you know it kind of goes into the microservices to Monolith and. Not everything needs to be microservices, even though, you know, people will always want that. And sometimes, you know, maybe going not all the way to monolith, but somewhere in the middle is better off. Well, I said I said this when when we talked about it on the show, but they didn't actually go back to a monolith at all. Right. That's a they did. They had a very catchy headline where right. they said that. But the reality is that what they did is they grouped their microservices together instead of separating them out across different ecosystems. And so it's like, no, that's just good architecture. You don't need to, like, it's not the same thing as doing a monolith at all. You're not, you're not developing a single code base. You're not, you're not trying to do mono repo and, and have everything sort of check into the same thing. And, you know, like, and you're not sort of bundling it all up as a single unit to be deployed and you know that they still were using containers they were still doing um you know stateless or state yeah stateless technologies and so all they did was not separate them out and so it was a little strange to me but all right i, I didn't realize that in september open uh tofu joined the linux foundation so that's when the renaming oh. happened so yeah. OpenTF joined the linux foundation as open tofu uh, but I didn't realize that was also, I didn't realize the Linux Foundation had backed into it. So that's interesting. I didn't either. That's some weight behind it. Yep. It's waiting for all the supporting tools to come out, like kimchi and all these, all that other crap now. All the, anything fermented is, is going to become a tool name now for. Please don't do it. I mean, Chef, <laughs> nah, it's so bad. I for love Chef. this. No, no, no. I, 
As someone who recently picked up Chef, I am diving back into all the uh, things, and I love it. Knife kitchen, like ah, more of that. I'm, I'm so sorry, it's, it's just so hard to Google for. It's just it is, yeah, yeah. Open tofu, yeah. I, I do agree. Like I, that's a word that we can Google, and so like yeah, if we if we keep it, you know, specific and and not capitalize on something that already exists. So as long as it's like open kimchi, you're okay. Sure. Perfectly fine. fine. Yeah, that's fine. That's fair. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that that was uh, O'Reilly. And then Werner uh, last year and every year actually writes his predictions for 2023. And so I thought we'd look at how he did in 2023. And then when he's predicting for 2024 uh, and you weren't a good company guys, because he did just as bad as we did. (laughs) (laughs) So in 2023, he predicted uh, or last December, he predicted that cloud technologies will redefine sports as we know them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than Amazon Prime on Thursday nights where they have like Amazon smart stats in it and you can do a second screen experience, uh, I don't think it's redefined them. No. I think it's added some capabilities. I'm sort of happy to see them. I like them, but I definitely don't think it's a redefinition of what we expect sports to be. Uh, simulated worlds will reinvent the way we experiment. Uh, and since we didn't see anything for SimSpace Weaver, I'm going to say he was wrong on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, a surge of innovation in smart energy. Uh, I mean, there's definitely been, I don't think it's a surge. I think it's the same amount that was in 2022. I don't think it was an increase. Uh, the upcoming supply chain transformation, which, uh, you know, has calmed down since pandemic. I don't think it's really changed so much other than China's more of a suspect situation. There's definitely freight network changes happening. There's things happening, but I don't think it's really a, a transformation as much as a reset from mm-hmm. pre-pandemic levels. And not even a reset, a dramatic value. It's just people saying like, maybe we shouldn't have everything manufactured in China and shipped. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and then his last prediction, which is probably the most accurate, was custom silicone goes mainstream. Um, and he points uh, the uses of the Tranium, the Infrentia, and the Graviton 3 base. And, you know, they've, they've definitely had a pretty large increase in usage of those things. Um, you know, the, I would say with the Apple silicone, you know, that's a pretty, you know, custom silicone box that's gone mainstream. But I mean, that was all happening before he made this prediction. So I don't know that it's much more than was already trending in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I'll give him, the, give him the prediction. I do think, you know, all the cloud providers are now developing yeah, custom silicone and, you know, all that happened in the last year or so. Yeah, I get it. Yes. And, you know, could you, was it an easy prediction based off of what you were seeing in, in 2022? Yeah, but whatever. So easy. Even AI would have figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so then moving on to, uh, you know, the one thing interesting about his 2023 prediction is that he didn't have a single mention of AI in any of that, uh, where I bet for 2024, he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so for 2024, he has several things. Um, one is he thinks generative AI will become culturally aware, um, which would make sense. I mean, I think we've mm-hmm. seen LLMs already kind of coming out there that are focused on specific languages. When I was in India, I was hearing about startups in India that are using, um, you know, some of the languages in India that are not widely spread to train LLMs. So they're like Telugu and uh, Hindi and some other things are actually building LLMs around those languages to help people in those, you know, that country who only use those languages be able to communicate um, using a large language model. So I definitely think that's probably something that's going to happen. And I think it's something that definitely has to happen. You need to have more than just American ideals as the baseline for your AI model. And I think that'll be something that we're seeing in the ethics and we're seeing in how do you provide, uh, you know, models that are not biased. I think it's how you, you start helping some of those issues with the culture stuff. So that makes sense to me. Uh, Femtech finally takes off, which is basically his definition of Femtech is women's healthcare technology solutions. 
Um, you know, he calls out three or four companies in the post here, like Tia, LV, and Ember Labs, uh, as you know, ones that show him immense potential of leveraging data and predictive analytics to provide individualized care and for patients. Uh, so this is kind of interesting. Um, I assume he probably has some idea what he's doing with his big healthcare company that he owns now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe some things in the space. <laughs> Uh, but overall, yeah, I, I, I do hope Femtech has kind of a moment in the, you know, where it gets a lot of attention and a lot of things, there's a lot of opportunities for women's health, I think would be really interesting. So that one I do hope uh, comes through. Uh, his third one is AI assistance, redefine developer activity. Um, I think we're seeing the starts of that already. I think that continues down the path. We, you know, continue to see more and more capabilities, DBA tools, UI UX tools, DevOps capabilities, all coming to large language models to help make development easier. No code, hopefully. And then uh, education evolves to match the speed of tech innovation is his last prediction. Uh, and that's really around sort of what we talked about just a minute ago about AI and how AI impacts education. Uh, but really, he's thinking about a more higher education and how does uh, you know, college start adjusting for the world of AI and what that's going to mean for future job careers, I think. And that's, uh, that's his prediction. So I think, uh, you know, I feel in good hands that we did just as well as Warner did. <laughs> And uh, hopefully next year in December, we'll all be here talking about uh, how great we did. So we'll see. Or, or we'll at least be replaced by AI facsimiles. Yeah. I mean, we're, I mean, we're already starting to write show notes with AI. Why not replace us in audio too? <laughs> I'm sure the listeners would love that. <laughs> might be more insightful sometimes than us. Yeah. <laughs> the, accuracy, the accuracy might improve. Yeah. I mean, but it won't have, it won't have the... Uh, the witty commentate comment and the uh, pure cynicism of our of us. <laughs> yeah, we need, we'll need to train a custom model just on the on the podcast itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, John, I think he's Have promising one day he's going to build an AI model off of our voices and text to blackmail us with. That hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm waiting for it any day. So <laughs> we'll see when that happens. But uh, there we go. That's it. Thank you for a fantastic 2023. Thank you for listening. Thanks for sharing with all your friends uh, about how awesome our podcast is. We really do appreciate uh, all the word of mouth, the people who are on our Slack channel talking to us regularly, uh, people who email in, etc. And of course, our sponsors like Foghorn uh, and others that we are talking to for next year. We look forward to a fantastic 2024 and we will see you in the cloud. See you later. Happy New Year. Bye, everybody. Happy New Year, everyone. And that is the Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm-hmm.